Peace be with you. Today's scripture reading is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along in your bulletin or on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. You have heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says, you fool, will be subject to hellfire. So if you're offering your gift on the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled with your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while you're on the way with him to the court, or your adversary will hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the officer, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will never get out of there until you have paid the last penny. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be together as a church, as a church family, to sit under your word. I pray, Father, that you would uh, take this time and allow it to be sacred in our hearts and minds as like uh, the disciples, we together uh, sit, proverbially speaking, on a mountain to hear from you. I pray, Father God, that your word would be a double-edged sword. I pray that it would capture our attention and do more in our hearts than than we can do with it. Father, you are wonderful and beautiful and kind. How sweet the name of Jesus is. And we worship you in Christ's name. Amen. A couple weeks ago, I had the joy of uh, speaking at a conference And while I was there, there was another kind of keynote speaker, and we got to spend some time together. And uh, he shared the story about how he was uh, learning uh, to be a pilot and learning to fly, and how he learned about a a, what's called a death spiral or a graveyard spiral uh, while kind of learning simulation and pilot training. And now I'm no pilot, but uh, from what he said, summarizing it, he said that there is this thing called a death spiral where it normally happens when a, a pilot uh, looks at a horizon or believes that what he sees is a horizon, but it's a false horizon. It's not a real horizon. And he follows that horizon as opposed to following his gauges. And so this illusion ends up making him uh, thrown off his equilibrium and they end up spiraling to what he calls a death spiral. And he talked about uh, how a lot of times when planes spiral out, it's because of this. And that just got me to thinking the other day as I was reading today's passage about how murder begins in a heart, um, about essentially how Jesus is trying to come alongside um, these people whom he just redeemed, whom he just gave sight to, uh, who were hopeless and lost, who were the least of society. And how he's gathered these people together, kind of like Moses uh, gathered Israel together after they made their exodus of Egypt. And now he's teaching the ways of the kingdom. He's teaching them uh, what it means to be a disciple. 
and what he's trying to show them is, is, is how to have the proper gauge and what to put their attention on. He's showing them how kingdom citizens live this countercultural life. That's what the Beatitudes are. It's a new set of values. It's a, a new uh, kingdom ethic. It's a new way of living that is, is contradicting the world's values and is bringing life and flourishing and fruit. But it's, it's spirit and power. And Jesus has been attacking the religious leaders of the day who have given a false horizon. They're, they're giving this picture of what life with God looks like, and it's just not, man, it's not, it's not beautiful enough. <laughs> it's not deep enough. It's not robust enough. It's not true enough. It doesn't hold integrity. And Jesus is showing the, the integrity of Scripture and showing like, no, this is what true life looks like. This is what it truly means to be a part of the kingdom of God, and entry into the kingdom of God is cross-shaped and low. And so that's what Jesus has, has been doing here, and that's what he's doing here. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, uh, Jesus says uh, that, that what God expects out of us is perfection. He says, be ye perfect, for your Father in heaven is perfect. And this word perfect, uh, a, a better understanding of that word would be a whole, whole. That God isn't duplicitous or fake. Um, as the religious leaders of his day was very duplicitous and fake. They had this external religion, this external way of doing things. But he says inwardly, inside their hearts, they were full of dry men's bones. And he's actually given a beautiful invitation to abundant life, a life of, of vulnerability, a life of brokenness, of, of humbleness, of, of, of hungering for righteousness, of, of mourning, of being poor in spirit. He says, actually, the people who flourish in the kingdom of God is not plastic people who put up a front, but it's people who bring all of themselves before God just as they are and who trust God to make them whole. What a beautiful invitation. And here today, he's going to continue to do this. Now, there's five, uh, five of six sections from verses 17 to 48. Jesus is going to take uh, six commands. He's going to show how the religious leaders of their day were teaching those commands. And then he's going to show the deeper meaning, the deeper righteousness of those commands. And so we're going to see this formula, and it should be on the screen. Each time, he's going to give uh, the old command or a command from the Old Testament from the Torah. Then he's going to show the deeper heart command. Um, and then after that, he's going to give us steps of obedience. He's going to give us six different, five different, six sections, and he's going to do this exact same thing five different times. Now, here's the thing. When Jesus gives us the old command and then kind of a, a, a deeper command or new command, it's not, a, it's, it's not really a new command. If you read the Old Testament, God has always been about the heart. He's always given a deeper vision of life. The prophets of old, when they came and they preached to Israel, they were preaching to the heart. They weren't just preaching to this like external uh, nature. They were like going for the heart and they were calling Israel to turn their hearts back to the Lord. And Jesus is, is going to do this here. And for today's text, what he's addressing is the issue of, of murder, but even a deeper issue of, of anger. And so what he's going to show us is that murder begins in the heart in verses 21 and, and 22. Jesus says these words, you have heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder and whoever murders will be subject to the judgment. So he's, he starts with murder. Murder is a, a major uh, uh, topic in the scripture, uh, almost from the very beginning. Uh, we see the first murder appearing in Genesis chapter four with a man named Cain who murders his brother out of envy. And it's interesting that even in Genesis chapter 4, 
Uh, God was trying to get to the heart of murder right away. It's not just like the religious leaders were teaching, do not murder. And they were kind of stopping there. In Genesis chapter 4, God got to the heart of the issue of murder right away. It says in verse 6, And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you furious? And why do you look despondent? Cain offered a sacrifice to the Lord that was rejected. His brother Abel offered a sacrifice to the Lord that was accepted. Cain is now despondent. He's looking down. Verse 7, the Lord says, if you do what is right, won't you be accepted? Look at the invitation that the Lord gives. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. So he's saying, listen, you have an opportunity to do what's right. If you don't do what's right, if you don't address your heart, sin is going to overtake your heart. And so remember, this is God who the first two chapters of Genesis just shows off, right? I mean, he creates the world by just speaking things into existence. He's just like, boom, 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 bam, bam, bam. And it's beautiful and it's peace and it's a, a, a guard. And Cain's parents, they sin, they forfeit the peace that God gave by disobeying. And so he knows his parents' story. And he knows the brokenness that entered into the world as a result of their sin. He has the same opportunity here, an opportunity to give God his heart or to choose his own way. And each of us, every day, when things irritate us and people disappoint us, we have the same invitation to either check our heart by surrendering it to the Lord or to go our own way. Unfortunately, Cain goes his own way. In Genesis chapter, uh, uh, same chapter, verse 8, it says, Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. So evidently, Abel didn't see the warning signs that Cain was, was seething and, and jealous, and he, he murdered him. He took him out. Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, we see these words, whoever sheds human blood by humans, his blood will be shed for God made humans in his image. God, very early uh, in the book of Genesis, wants to establish the sacredness of human life. And it takes us back to the earlier part of Gen uh, Genesis as its argument of why. Why? Because every single human being, every single human being is created in his image, has his stamp on it. And every human being their life should be preserved as best as possible. We should not murder someone. And so we see that this command is given. And so when we talk about here in the text, this, this issue of the heart, right, um, and how murder begins in the heart, whenever we speak about the heart, we talk about the, the human control system, okay? It's our inner being. It's the sum of who we are, our emotions, our thoughts, our feelings. Um, it, is, it, is, it is who we are. So in the Proverbs, we see in Proverbs chapter 4, the, the writer says, guard your heart. Guard your, your will. Guard your emotions. Guard your feelings. Uh, guard your worldview with all diligence because from the heart flow the issues of life. And Jesus picks up that theme in Matthew chapter 15 where he lists a list of sins and he says it all flows from the heart. It all flows from the heart. So in verse 22, when Jesus says these words, he is taking this old command and he's giving it, um, he's restoring its meaning to his deepest sense. He says, but I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to the judgment. 
will be subject to the judgment. And we talk about anger, what are we talking about? We're talking about intense displeasure. The English word anger has the same root as like anguish, right? Or angst. It's to have intense displeasure. Now, not all anger is bad. There's a such thing called as righteous anger. We see that God is, is sometimes angry. God revealed himself to Moses. He said, I am the Lord your God, slow to anger, bad, abundant and steadfast love. So he is a patient God, but he is a God who gets angry. So not all anger is sinful because we know God is perfect. Jesus, throughout the gospel narrative, there are times where he gets angry, flips over tables. But it's always righteous. John Stott says this, not all anger is evil as it's evident from the wrath of God, which is always holy and pure. And even fallen human beings may sometimes feel righteous anger, although being fallen, we should ensure that even this is slow to rise and quick to die down. And so when we are uh, angry, uh, we want to know that we're not necessarily sinning, but there is a, a way to be anger that, angry that leads to sin. And the question is not, do we get angry? The question is, how do we get angry? Because every single one of us get angry. And I'm willing to bid probably on a day-to-day -day basis. And I don't care how plush uh, your, your marriage is, your friendships is, your life is, like, we all get angry because people disappoint, gadgets disappoint, <laughs> timelines disappoint, traffic disappoints, like, we all get angry. And so Jesus here wants to deal with our anger. He is coming down all of our rows, stepping on all of our toes, and anger shows up in different ways. Sometimes it's like Cain with violence, sometimes it's just it's outbursts. Sometimes it's, just, it's uh, felt through relentless, relentless embitterment. Uh, sometimes it's ice cold treatment. Sometimes it's just this feeling of, of misery. Sometimes it's avoidance. And sometimes it's just this constant nagging irritation with someone. And so God's invitation for us to, is to check our heart and to check our anger, lest we grieve the Holy Spirit. Lest the Holy Spirit who is indwelling us as his children. Uh, becomes silent and leads us to our own way so that we can experience God's loving but hard discipline to bring our hearts back to him. Listen to this, verse 22, we see that anger unchecked leads to sin and destruction. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says you fool will be subject to hellfire. So if you are offering your gift on the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, then he gives us steps. So verse 21, 22, and 23, we pretty much see this formula, this whoever formula. Whoever is angry, whoever calls his brother a moron, whoever calls his brother a fool. And then he gives three outcomes. And each of the outcomes have the same thing, and that's that judgment is on its way. Judgment is on his way. And a lot of ink has been spilt. Like, is Jesus, like, giving us categories of, of anger and sin and different types of judgment? I believe Jesus um, is, is trying to just give us this one main point. It's really impossible to kind of uh, to tease these out and say, you can say moron but not fool because if you, like, that's, if that's what you're doing, like, what exactly can I say to avoid hell? You're like, hmm. Okay, I can stand before the church and receive some discipline because he is a moron but I'm not going to say food. That's not what Jesus is doing, right? <laughs> Jesus is saying like, hey, when we use our words to tear people down who are created in God's image, we are murdering them. Jesus is getting to the heart issue. He's saying your religious leaders are saying murder is simply taking somebody out, right? 
He's saying, like, some of you feel, feel safe and, and comfortable right now with your heart because you didn't plan out a murder in your mind, right? I mean, very uh, few of us in this room has, like, planned out a murder in our mind where we've, like, bought a cabin in Billa County and bought scotch tape and ropes, right, <laughs> and planned the night out. Y'all like, okay, Pastor, you're getting a little detailed. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, very few of us have went that deep. But a lot of us in here, probably all of us at some point in our mind have just been embittered to the point in our mind where we are holding someone captive in a cage, throwing insults at them, air fighting, saying, oh, I wish they would. I wish they would. Right. Just me. Okay. Um, So Jesus is saying, like, this is a problem when you do that, like you. You have a heart issue and you're setting yourself up for judgment. You say, man, that's pretty intense. Why? Why judgment? Well, 1 John 3, 15 through 16 says this, everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. I want to pause right there because I, I, we need to see this. Not whoever has planned to murder someone, whoever hates a brother or sister, you are a murderer. God sees your heart, not just your external outward deeds. And Jesus over and over in his sermon is is giving his hearers the truth and saying that God isn't just concerned about the way you present yourself before people. He's concerned about what's going on in your heart. Why? Because sin is crouching at the door. And he wants to give you a vision of freedom and wholeness so that you and I can both be salt and light to the world so that we can live a countercultural way so that he can do open heart surgery and start to peel back the layers of our heart so that we can see the filth and the sin and the envy and the jealousy and the covetousness and the unforgiveness so that he can begin to allow his gospel to go deeper in our hearts so that we can have freedom and so that we can have a joy that the world can say, like, man, how is it that you have this joy, this this love? How is it you're able to bless people who curse you? How are you able to go that extra mile? How are you able to not be so uh, habitually irritated with this coworker who everybody's irritated with? How are you not able to not slander this boss who has, has some issues? Like, how is this possible? And you can point to God and say, well, It's because of what God has done in my heart. He's been kind to me when I didn't deserve his kindness. He's been good to me when I didn't deserve his goodness. I was dead in my sins and trespasses, but he gave me grace. And not only has he been that in the past, he's that way with me today. My sin is ever before him, but he he treats me with kindness. What if there was a, a group of people in Louisville that actually believed the words of Jesus? that actually believed that abundant life can be found when we seek his face in such a countercultural way, when we actually believe these words and we receive the weight of these words, what would happen if, if just a few hundred people in this church 
begin to meditate on this, begin to beg God, begin to hunger and thirst from righteousness, begin to become poor in spirit and mourn at the state of their own hearts and say, Lord, revive me and give me a passion for this vision of life. And what if God, through his spirit, renewed us in such a way that in our everyday mundane life, we were able to grow in grace and give grace to others because we have received that grace. I think that that this church will be a city on a hill, that the reputation of Christ through sojourn and other like-minded churches in this city will begin to, to spread at a grassroots level. You are God's kingdom citizens. The kingdom is yours. Louisville will receive impact and, and be impacted when we receive his word and say Jesus is serious. We're going to take him serious at his word. When I am embittered and hold a grudge to someone in his heart, I'm setting myself up for judgment. And so after Jesus, let me, let me read this. Maya Angelou says these words. Words are things I'm convinced. Someday we will be able to measure their power. I think that they are things. I think that they get on the walls, the wallpaper in your upholstery, in your rugs, and finally in you. Like words do matter. And I just want to pause right here and let you know your words do matter. And we all know that it's a lie. Sticks and stones may break your bones, but words never hurt you. That's a lie from the pit of hell. I wish that words didn't hurt us. I want to get to the place where I can find my identity so much in Christ that when someone says something to, to harm me, it doesn't stick. But the truth is words do hurt. And how you use your words hurt, it does matter. And Jesus is saying, if you are using your words to tear down another image bearer and you look back over your life and that is the habitual, intentional pattern of your life, it may be because you, have, you were never given a new heart. It may be because you were never following Jesus. Now, all of us have sin issues. Your, your issue is not my issue. Your struggle is, is not my struggle. Some of us, we're going to fight with different sins until we die. But the issue is we recognize that there are sins and we have declared war on them and we know that it is not okay. Jesus is talking to the person who has just determined this is who I am and you're just going to have to deal with it. I can say whatever I want and you're just going to have to live with it because this is me. No, you are a new creation in Christ. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the apostle Paul is talking to the church and he says, and such were some of you. And he gives a list of the, and such of some of you. And then he talks about people who will not inherit the kingdom of God. And, and one of the people that he mentions, a person who's, who has not given their heart to the Lord, whose life is marked by this, and he's talking to the church as a person who is verbally abusive, literally, CSV, verbally abusive. And I just want to talk to you for a second. If you are a husband or a wife and if you are making your living and your existence in your household to abuse your spouse, Jesus is not okay with that. You say, well, I've never put my hands on them. Listen, your words are like fists. And if you are using your words to insult, to belittle, to make your spouse feel like a moron or a fool, the joke's on you because you're the fool. And God's not okay with it. 
And the answer is not for you to put up these self-protective measures. The answer is not for you to hide or to explain it away. The answer is for you to be like Jesus invites you and me to be in every area of our life, poor in spirit, to mourn and to weep and to say, God, help me through your spirit. Enable me to love my spouse and to have self-control over my mouth. The proverb says that a man who is angry is like a city without walls. What happens to a city, especially back in the day, who did not have walls? People would come in and just take over it. And God's invitation for you today is to see that person, no matter how much they irritate you, will step on your last nerve as an image bearer that he loves, that he has redeemed, that he has ordained as a son, as a daughter of his. And for you to begin to not focus on what they won't do for you, but for you to focus on your relationship with him. John said, no one can say that they love God who they do not see and they hate their brother or sister. And that's not just to the married folk, that's the singles. Maybe that's your parent, maybe that's a friend, maybe that's a coworker. That's to all of us. God is saying, watch your mouth. So Jesus gives us steps to obedience and it's pretty radical. Look at this, verse 23. So if you're offering your gift on the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, Leave your gift there in front of the altar. Go and be reconciled with your brother or sister and then come and offer your altar. So Jesus is saying, if you have an alt in your heart towards someone else, like he said with Cain, sin is crouching at the door. Be quick to do everything you can to be a peacemaker. Why? Because flourishing, blessed are the peacemakers. Why? Because God is the ultimate peacemaker who came to make peace with you while you were yet in your sin. He says, do everything humanly possible to make peace, to be reconciled with that person because the gospel is a message of reconciliation. In fact, the example he gives is pretty, pretty strong. Check this out. So we know that Jesus is in Galilee. He's by, by the sea. The people that he's talking to, most of them are far away from Jerusalem. It would take them days to travel there. It would be an expensive uh, commute because most of them were, were poor, right, and under Roman impression. He's saying if you travel to Jerusalem, to the temple, and you have a gift to offer to the temple, which they probably didn't go every year. A lot of them, like I said, was impoverished. So it was, a, it was probably a, a couple times in a lifetime. He said, you find yourself in line and you remember that you are not reconciled with one of my disciples, one of these people who are following me on this mountain. It is your responsibility to leave your gift there, to go all the way back home, to make it right, and then come back and offer that gift. Paul says this, don't let, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. There's something that happens in the human heart when we allow something that has happened to us to just settle and to sit. I don't know the answer, but there's something that happens that, that then allows it to just become bitterness and to crust over and to take root. And, and it's like it just builds up in our house. It's like a, a tower that just gets stronger and stronger over the years. And listen, I know you've been hurt. I've been hurt too. I know you've been betrayed. I've been betrayed too. I, I know that what they said is unthinkable, that they were supposed to be there for you. They were supposed to protect you and they took from you. I know. It's, I can't even imagine what you've been through. But what Jesus is saying is that I will love you so fiercely, 
so strongly, so intimately, so powerfully that, that, that what I did for you over uh, 2,000 years ago on that cross can heal you in such a deep way, in such a supernatural way that I can give you a freedom that you can't understand. I can give you a peace that surpasses all understanding. I can give you a joy that the, that the world cannot quantify. He's saying, if you, if you trust me. And part of that trust is taking that step of obedience to actually do the hard work of hard work. And it may not end with that person wanting to reconcile, but you've done all that you can. You've opened up that cage and let them out the, the door. Jesus gives a similar uh, uh, example here. He talks about the person who's going to court. They know that they've wronged their, uh, another person. And rather than just humble themselves and pay up what they owe, they're going to try to take it to the courts. And Jesus is saying, when you do that, Know that you will have to pay a fine. You'll probably be thrown in jail. I think his overall intent is like, you remember, you're salt and light. You're supposed to handle these things differently than the world does. Just give up. Let it go. And trust me to replenish you. And so there's two paths that we all have before us. There's two paths that we all have before us. And both of them are rooted on this vision of us receiving God's forgiveness and remembering what he has done for us. Matthew 18, Jesus tells a story about a man who was in debt to a master. The master forgives him an incredible amount of debt. Someone else owes him a few dollars. And after being forgiven this incredible amount of debt, he goes and hems up the person that owes him some money. I'm sorry, hems up. He goes and like, you know, and it's hood vernacular. He goes and chokes him. All right. And, and he's choking them. He's holding them for this few dollars that he that he owes them. And and he he pronounces judgment on this person. And his point is this. Those who have been forgiven much, for, they forgive much. If you truly understand the weight of the debt that you owed to God, the father, because of your rebellion and your sin and your trifling ways. If you truly allow that to minister to you and become a reality, though it is not easy, you will let other people go for the debts that they owe you. So what? They didn't call you back. Okay, they, they betrayed you. They let you down. And I don't want to minimize what happened, but I do want to aggrandize what he did for us, that he was willing to be hung out, betrayed, to die, to come for earth, to heaven, from, from uh, heaven to earth, so that we would not be hung up on our hangups. So there's two ways. Our way is the human way. When we, someone does us wrong, the way we want to respond in our flesh is to become all about us. And the thing that kind of rings in our mind is not that I'm here to serve, but I'm here to be served. And the question, at least, that I I start to ponder on is how could this happen to me? How could this happen to me? I deserve better. And so my natural response is I start thinking about my reputation, my schedule, and my needs. And it don't just work with people outside of my house. This works in my house. Sometimes with my kids, we're trying to do a math problem. And I'm like, you know the answer to this. <laughs> and what am I thinking? Starts, that, that reel starts rolling in my head. What if they don't get it? Oh, my goodness. What if they fail math? How will that make me look? What if the teacher calls? It's about me and my glory and my schedule. <laughs> and then bitterness sets in, right? 
not, not to my kids. Let's use a different example. I don't want y'all emailing me, right? Um, <laughs> it's hypothetical. Uh, and then we start to withdraw, cold treatment. We start to seek revenge, attacking looks. But it doesn't just stay between us and that person. What we fail to realize is that attitude that we have with that person, it, it becomes transferred to God. And our hearts begin to harden and we begin to rebel against God. And we are rebelling against God. And the outcome is heartache and confusion. But God invites us to another way. And here's the other way. It's for us to constantly pursue humility. And it is a day-by-day, minute-by-minute pursuit. It is for us to humble ourselves to remember we are dust and dirt. To dust we came, to, to dust we will return. But we are decorated dust. We are dust that he loves, that he cares for, that he has a plan for, and, and that, that, that he is sovereign over. And so when we have that attitude, we can start living with God's reputation, with his glory in mind. And when we have to address something, we attack the problem as opposed to the person. And the only way that this is possible is by, by abiding in Christ. Jesus says, without me, you could do nothing. It's by, it's by staying connected to the, to the true vine, by allowing his nourishment to, to nourish our hearts and our souls. In fact, most of the times when we have bitterness and we have these things and we're walking in it, all of us have moments where it comes. It's like playing hot potato. We give it to God. He gives it back to us. We give it to him. He gives it back to us. Like sometimes that's a struggle. The, the, the challenge and the invitation is for you to keep giving it back to God. Rather than settling like, I'm just going to hold on to it. You keep giving it back to God until his spirit breaks through to you. You yield, you submit. And what ends up happening is, is joy comes. So here's some questions for you. What do you get most angry about, which often leads you to sin? And I really want you to spend some time this afternoon really thinking about what angers you most. Like, where is that area? Remember, Satan studies us. He watches us. Remember Jesus in the wilderness? He knows the buttons to push. Remember, the fight is not against flesh and blood, but it's against spiritual wickedness in high places. Start thinking. The last five times I got angry, what was the root? And for, for, for many of us, we'll see a theme. It was maybe because I didn't feel respected. I didn't feel like someone was taking me serious. I didn't feel love. I didn't feel heard. And those may be real things. You may not have been respected. You probably were not loved in the way that you should have been loved or you desire to be loved. Those are real things. I don't want to, but listen, when whatever that thing is becomes the most important thing to you and it drives you, it, it, it can become an idol. It can be something that we're finding our identity in. When you can fill in the blank and say these words, Paul says this in in the book of Philippians. He says very, very clearly that to live is Christ and to die is gain. What happens in these intimate moments when we're disappointed, when we have these unmet expectations, we take Christ out of there. And at that moment, for me to live was to have a quiet moment at home without this person bugging me. What is it? Why does that specific thing spin you out? How does the gospel speak to you? Who are you holding in contempt within your heart? Why won't you let them go? 
What does it look like to let them go? I don't know the answers, and it's probably extremely complex. And that's why the Lord has given us a body of believers to help us to think through those things and ask questions. That's why the Lord has given us uh, people who can care and, and counsel for us. But my invitation to you is to give the answer to those questions and to do the hard work of hard work so that Jesus can begin to kind of do some spring cleaning in your heart so that you can experience joy, so that you can see God. Blessed is the pure in heart, for they will see God. I just feel like the Lord didn't speak to me in his word. I feel like my prayer life is hard. I feel like, I feel like coming to church really doesn't make a difference. Maybe, maybe it's something in your heart. Maybe it's some weeds that have grown over time that you need to uproot that is hindering you from seeing the landscape of God's love for you. The story is told about, by Corey Tin Boom. And it says, she says this, she writes about experience she had in Germany. She was going around teaching about forgiveness. People were filing out of the basement room where I had just spoken, moving along the rows of wooden chairs, the door at the rear. It was 1947, and I had come from Holland to defeat Germany with the message that God forgives. It was the truth they needed most to hear in the bitter, bombed-out land. And I gave them my favorite mental picture, maybe because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind. I like to think that that's where forgiven sins were thrown. When we confess our sins, I said, God cast them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. And that's when I saw him working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next a blue uniform and a visor cap with its skull and crossbone. It came back with the rush, the huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses, the shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Betsy is her sister. They both were arrested for concealing Jews in their home during the Nazi uh, Jewish uh, people in their home during the Nazi regime. And this man who was walking forward was one of the concentration camp's leaders. And she writes about how he then addresses her and says that, that, Christ, that he's a Christian now and has found forgiveness. And she goes on to talk about how hard it was for her to address him. And as she saw him coming forward, she prayed to God that God would give her the strength to raise her hand to greet him. And she said, as she prayed, something supernatural happened. Her hand became lighter and she was able to put her hand in his hand. A man who had stripped her naked, degraded her, who had been the cause of her, her sister's uh, uh, torment. And she says, at that moment, supernaturally, not only did she shake his hand, but she embraced him and gave him a big hug. And she yelled at him, I forgive you, brother. Jesus and the next chapter over is going to pray and tell us to pray regularly, Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then right after he's done praying, he opens his eyes. Get this picture. He's teaching them how to pray. I'm assuming his eyes was closed. Maybe not. <laughs> he opens his eyes and his next statement, after all the things he just prayed about the kingdom of God, his next statement is, 
For if you do not forgive your brother or sister, I will not forgive you. And why? Again, it's because a person who withholds forgiveness habitually and intentionally, and that's the sum of their life, is probably someone who has never, never received the grace of God. I know this is hard. I can only imagine what this person has done for you. My invitation for you is to take your eyes off them for a second and to sit in what Christ has done for you and to go on a journey of discovering where the deepest pain comes from and how God promises to heal you. That person making it right with you is not the source of your healing. The source of your healing is you receiving God's love for you. So I was talking to this gentleman in the beginning about this death spiral. And he gave me the key to getting out of death spiral. He said, the way in which a pilot survives a death spiral is by rejecting his feelings because his body is lying to him and telling you you're upright when you're not upright and by focusing on the gauges in front of you. He says, everything in you is telling you that you're off tilt, that you're going the right way Um, And you have to refocus on the gauge. And God's invitation to you and me today is to refocus on the gauge. And the gauge is the cross. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, broke it, said, this is my body broken for you. In the same way, he took a cup and said, this cup is a new covenant of my blood shed for you. If you're not a Christian, we invite you to come forward and to consider how Christ forgives sinners we're going to ask you not to partake in this meal, but to truly, truly know that God's love is incredible. Here at Sojourn, we take a piece of bread, we dip it in wine or juice. The wine is marked by twine, whatever your conscience permits. And we, as the beloved community of God, every week we take this meal to remind ourselves of Christ's love and forgiveness for us and how he empowers us supernaturally through his spirit to forgive others and to uproot anger. Let's pray. Lord, I I do pray that you would help us, Lord. I pray that you would help us, Lord, to to be wise with our words. As you say in in Proverbs 15.1, that a, a soft answer turns away wrath. Help us to believe that. Help us to care more about your reputation and your glory. Help us to be a humble people who in the midst of insult and persecution, who are learning, Lord, to count it all joy. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Jesus' name, amen.